0: Thanks for joining us today for our Freedom Podcast. We are excited to grow with you. Today, you will hear a message from the life-changing Word of God. We hope this podcast adds value to your everyday life. If you want to find out more about this ministry, visit our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. continuing our series, Living a Life of Focus. Everybody say focus. Focus is very important because focus is, it it directs our lives in a specific direction, right? So when you're focused on something, you have to realize that that's the direction you're headed. If you focus on a certain area of your life, that's the way you're going to look, that's the lens you're going to see all of life through, right? So how many of you remember the Titanic? you remember the story of the Titanic? I don't want to go into the storyline of it, but the biggest part of the Titanic was we saw a bit of the ice on the top, but the bulk of it was under the what? The surface in the water, right? And so I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that because just as the sinking of the Titanic, spoiler alert, uh, is reality, sadly Every day in our country, hearts are breaking and lives are being destroyed because of what lurks beneath the surface. What lurks beneath the surface? So, in our hearts, we desire to do the right thing, but we often come into compromising situations that cause us to lose focus. So, uh, let me ask you this question Where is that place we call the heart? Where is that place? We call the heart. Many of us would do this, you know, we, you know, we would put our hand on our heart and we say, this is where our heart is located. Yeah, that may be where your physical heart is located, but the, the, the gospels and the the Bible itself is not a medical book per se. So when it talks about the heart, we got to realize it's not just talking about her physical. In fact, most of the time it's not, if ever. Right, It's talking about a different kind of heart. We know that the heart is an organ in our chest. We get that. We know that the heart is definitely talked about in the Hallmark Channel. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Apparently, a heart calls on something. Or in some sort of Christmas time, it's about the heart. Everybody say, the heart. You got to say it like that. Say, the heart. Right? Because we kind of look at it like a Hallmark thing, right? Oh, it's the heart. Follow your heart. Friends, can I tell you, don't follow your heart. Follow the Word of God. Because your heart is deceitful sometimes, isn't it? It's not that you're a bad person per se. You could be a good person, but your heart will pull you a different direction. So when when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about the heart in different ways. The heart is a biblical concept. The heart is what's talked about throughout scripture. So let me point some areas of scripture. Would you mind if I talk a little bit about scripture here on this Sunday morning? The book of Genesis talks about the heart. The book of Genesis said that God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was continuously evil. Genesis, Deuteronomy, we find that the Lord said, if we search for him with all of our heart, that we should love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and strength, Deuteronomy. We look at Joshua, Joshua told the people to destroy the idols among them and turn their heart to the Lord. In Samuel, we see that the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Talking about Saul. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. How many are grateful for that? But then it says, people judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your wallet. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Some of you are like... That's not what it says. No, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Right? Also says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit saps personal strength. Isn't that good? It also says in Proverbs, he that trusts his own heart is a fool. Hello. Did I just read that? That's from Proverbs and not me. You got a problem, take it up with Solomon and Jesus. <laughs> Monday through Friday, and then Sundays. And Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Matthew says, Jesus says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Mark said, out of a person's heart, evil, evil thoughts take place. John tells us that Jesus tells us not to let our hearts be troubled. Have you gotten the clue yet? All right, one more. Romans says it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. What does that mean? It means that the Bible has something to say about your heart. The Bible has something to say about everyone's heart. And if you think the heart is not a big deal, you're sadly mistaken. I just went from Genesis all the way to Romans. Didn't even cover the rest of the New Testament. But just to give you a sample that God cares about what's going on in this organ of yours. Because it's more than just a physical organ. What is the heart? So I have to ask you this question. Where is that place we call the heart? Back to my original question. What is the heart? The heart in the Bible was thought to be, watch this, a sort of control center. Think about it like that. Your heart is a control center from which all decisions are made. It's, it's that place where, where when you read in the heart in the Bible, it's about a place where your will and your attitude and your intentions, that's where they go and they hang out there. I'll dare say that the source of your thoughts and actions and words come from that place too. Come on, somebody say thoughts, actions, words. So when you have a thought or you have an action, or you say something, you're like, where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. Right there. That's where it came from. That's where it came from. It came from deep inside, whether you realize it or not, it's coming from in here. So we have to get our heart right. And how do we get our heart right? But to focus and be careful who we give, what we give, and how we give our attention to certain things. Amen? Amen. Who's with me so far? Come on, if you agree with me, I preach shorter. (laughs) Okay, I got a lot more hands now. Thank you. Now I know where you're at with me. All right. (laughs) But it is a control center, isn't it? It's kind of where we gauge where we're going in our lives. And so we can't talk about focus without talking about the heart. We absolutely can't. Your heart is that control center. It's that place where, where are you directing your life toward? If your heart is in this... When you try to go a different direction, you're going to go, ah, no, I want to do this. That's how come some of you are struggling with your job because your heart is somewhere else. This is why some of you are struggling with certain sins in your life because your heart is somewhere else. Right? The flesh and the spirit will always collide. Don't even even think for a moment that your flesh and your spirit are like, patty cake, patty cake, Jesus is the man. They don't, they don't communicate like that. They are constantly in battle, the flesh and the spirit. They're constantly, why do you want to pray, but at the same time you don't want to pray? Why do you want to read the Bible, but you don't want to read the Bible? Why do you have great intentions, but your intentions are wrong? Because the flesh and the spirit are constantly at war. Throughout the Bible, we look at a lot of examples, and I can go example after example. In the years of studying the scripture, I can could, I could give you lists and lists of people that have issues with their heart. But for today, I want to look at two men. I want to grapple with these two men for just a few moments. Can we do that? I want to talk about their temptations and the sharp contrast between the two. When we look at one of them, one of them kept their heart focused on God and stood firm. The other allowed his heart to drift toward evil. There's so much in this, I didn't even take time to title this message. It's just part two. (laughs) It's the same thought, living a life focused. The first man, say this with me, is Joseph Joseph. When we catch up with Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, he had been sold into slavery as a result of his brother's jealousy. Come on, haters going to hate. After being transported to Egypt, Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar, who's the head of Pharaoh's secret service. Yes, eagle has landed. We read in Genesis 39, right, that um, Joseph was in favor now listen he was sold into slavery by his brothers how many know that's that's a rough day that's a bad day joseph pressed on when he landed in this position because he did some things right but watch this the Bible tells us in Genesis 39, chapter, uh, chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Now, he wasn't in his homeland. You with me? Nor are you. If you're a believer, this is not your homeland. But how many know that God can give you success and favor? Raise your hand if you believe that. If you don't, by the end of the service, I want you to be able to raise your hand. I want you to know that God can give you success and can give you favor. Does that mean everything's going to be fine and dandy and peaches and roses? You're going to be like, patty, cake, patty. Okay, I won't do that again. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to you is this. What I'm saying to you is that you can be not of this land and still have favor. You can be not of this land and still have good success. Now listen, that doesn't mean that everything's going to go great. But, and you'll see that in just a moment. But when his master saw that the Lord was with him, verse 3, And that the Lord made everything he did successful. Watch this. Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all all that he owned under his authority. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house. Look at me. Because of Joseph, God blessed the Egyptians. Now, can I tell you something? That Egyptian house was not blessed before Joseph got there. Can we be crystal clear that the Egyptians were not of God? They were not followers of God or of Jehovah. They did not honor God with their lives. They did not honor God with their, their, their anything. Anything. They served God's. Plural. But the moment Joseph showed up and he was faithful, God blessed the entire household. Are you hearing this? That because he stood firm on his beliefs, because he felt the conviction and lived it, even a wrecked household was blessed. And I want us to be very careful and understand that it was because of Joseph, verse 5. Why? Because Joseph lived focused. Was he perfect? No. You'll see imperfections in every person in the Bible. That's what makes the Bible make sense to me. Because it's not full of perfect people. It's full of imperfect people who serve a perfect God who perfectly use them in that perfect environment. And some even imperfect environment, right? So, let me continue to read for a moment. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. Don't tell me that wherever you step your foot, you can't impact. That's how come we're going into our schools and we're going to love them. Because some of them think that the church is here to take. The first thing we're going to do is give and give. And when we're done with that, give some more. Because the church is about living the life and living the light. We're not going to take any of this with us. How many know that? You're going to take your bank account, your car, your home, none of it. It's all pretty. It's all nice. You got really nice... You got good, nice guns. You got nice cars. You got nice this. You got nice deer. And you got, wait, deer. Horses. You got nice things. I don't know. You got all kinds of stuff. Sheep. man. You got all kinds of nice stuff. I know you got up this morning thinking, what sound is Pastor Tony going to make this morning? I'm so glad you waited around. Except for the 16 people that left after I did the first patty cake. Joseph lived a life that was focused his entire household that he lived in. Because of Joseph, the Egyptian household was blessed. Don't tell me where you step your foot. You can't make a difference. Don't tell me you can't memorize scripture because you know every song from those, those songs. Come on, somebody. I talk to young people. that like, I can't memorize anything. I'll call you a bluff because you memorize every song from Drake. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Some of you all know. Some- I'm not going to even go. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. All right. So watch this. Verse 6. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. Check that out. An Egyptian guy gave Joseph all the authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. He's like, I'm not going to worry about anything. Just bring me food. Joseph's got it all under control. Joseph's got favor. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. Come on, somebody. Favor. After some time. Someone away for the Joseph blessing. We're going to pray a prayer for the Joseph blessing here in a little while. Lord, make me handsome once again. <laughs> I heard my wife laugh. That was good. I was You got me, babe. Thank you. Now the Internet knows. Okay, so got me. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly. This is the Christian Standard Bible. Looked longingly. That's the way your wife should look at you, man. Longingly. I don't know what that means, but I know what it, what it meant in the original. She looked at him with hot eyes. Come on, somebody. Muy caliente. She looked at Joseph because he was rugged and handsome. When he walked around, he didn't need no tank top. She looked at him and she was like, muy caliente. Stay, stay, stay the course. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. She wanted Joseph, now watch this, this is where things change here. She wanted Joseph so badly that she was willing to put everything on the line. And what did Joseph do? He gave in? No. Joseph knew so much that he ran the other direction because favor causes you to flee. You say, he was scared. Yes, he was. He was scared of dishonoring the God he had already got favor with. Listen, there's anything you should fear is the Lord and moving out of his favor. Are you with me? I shouldn't fear anything. I don't fear anything. That right there is pride that's not welcome in the house of God. I don't fear anything. You're wrong. You should fear something. A, you should fear the Lord. And B, you should fear from being under his favor. That's the only reason this world hasn't imploded already. Come on, somebody. The church is the only reason this world has not imploded. Because we are here and God's favor is with us. And can you imagine this world without the Holy Spirit? If this is the way it looks with the Holy Spirit, with the believers, with believers praying, this is the way the world looks? Can you imagine without us? So when they say things about you, they ain't teasing you. They're teasing the God you serve, and that's okay. God has got this. He's been insulted for years. He's not insulted by them. So understand, Joseph lived a life that was intended and focused and intentional, and that's what made him have favor. Somebody say, yeah. "Yeah." When we think of when we think of Joseph, the woman Potiphar's wife, she hit on him. She actually told him, "Sleep with me." She said, "Come on, sleep with me." Potiphar's away; he won't know. But he refused. And he said, how could I do such a thing? And he ran the other direction. There's a lot more dialogue, but for the lack of time here, she kept chasing him. Sleep with me, sleep with me. And he said, no, I can't do that. And then she tore his garment and held on to it. And he ran the other. Come on, you got to seriously be running (laughs) for her her to tear your garment. He was running hard and she was grabbing hard. Come on, somebody. Tore the garment. And then when she couldn't have her way, the venomous woman. Said what? He tried to assault me. There are going to be times in your life where people are going to say things that are not true. But trust me when I tell you, God is your vindicator. God is your vindicator. Somebody say yeah. Okay, so the second man. We talked about Joseph in, 30, uh, in Genesis 39. Now we're going to talk about a second man, David, who was a man after God's own heart. But guess what? A lot of things happened in David's life that were not for God's heart. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, David uh, was in the spring where the, where, the, where the kings were marching out to war, and, and, and David was, sent Joab with his officials and officers. And all of Israel and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah and and but David remained in Jerusalem. Listen, when you're supposed to be at war, but you stay home, you let your guard down. Believers, we have to we have to stay alert and understand we're always warring. Come on, somebody. We're always warned. So let me say this. When we think of David, we think of a shepherd, a giant killer, the king of Israel, someone that God said that was a man after his own heart. Unfortunately, we think of this incident in David's life. Bathsheba was bathing. And some of you know the story. He was up there. And he's up there with his cup, his kingly cup. And he's up there. And he's just like, whatever. You know? And he's up there just hanging out. Maybe he's got, you know, a hostess cupcake. I don't know what he's got up there. And that's not in the Bible. Maybe it's the amplified version. But... He's up there and all of a sudden there's a lady, she's taking a shower and he gets her, whoa, hello. And he was supposed to be at war instead. Now he's got a war going on internally. Because when you don't fight the war you're supposed to fight before you get to war, you will be guardless when you get to war. Now hear me. His imperfections were not okay with God. But it's the shadow of the grace of God that allowed David to become who he, who he became. And in spite of us, God has used us and can and will use us. How many are grateful for that? So let me give you some sharp contrast. James 1, 13 to 15. When you attempted to do wrong, you should never say God is tempting me. Hello? God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone either. Temptation comes as a lure of our own desires or the enemy. Now, there are times that God will test you that's different than the temptation we're talking about here. To test you is different, but but God will not put sin in front of you say, take it, to see if you would take it. He will test to see if you're faithful like he did with Abraham and his son. That's different. That's not temptation. That is a different line of causing us to see if we're going to stay faithful to it. Amen? Because we look at Matthew chapter 4, and very clearly, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because he wanted to test. He had to go through the test. How many know that a Savior that understands and has been through what we've been through can better serve us than one that doesn't? So when the Bible talks about some of the things that he's been through, he talks about how Jesus, there was temptations that Jesus went through that all of us go through. So he was tempted to understand, but not tempted to sin. There's a very big difference, right? And so some of you know the story. I, I, I'll just refer to it. Matthew chapter four verses one through 10. I don't have the time to read it, but if you read it, you'll see Jesus was in the wilderness, and the enemy tempted him, tempted him and tempted him again, and Jesus came through, came through. how many are grateful that he came through, right, so let me talk about the the, the three focuses, are you ready, because I want to get right to this, three focuses, now this is a lot of context, and we put it all on one, so if you want to take a a snapshot of this, or get the notes later, if we consult the manual, if you didn't get a manual, this manual, uh, it looks like this, if we consult the manual, we realize very quickly that the scriptures are very is very clear that we have what's called, how do you say this in English? Weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. Joseph, Watch this. The first thing I want to bring to the surface is that Joseph understood his weakness. Joseph understood that when he was confronted with temptation, if I hang around here long enough, something's going to go down. Listen, put me in a cupcake factory and tell me I can't have a cupcake. That's, That's not of God. I can't handle that. Buttercream, what? (laughs) But some of us think that I'm strong enough. I can do this. This is where many fall. Pride says I can handle it. But you lose focus very quickly. Joseph understood his weakness. David overestimated his strengths. Very sharp contrast. Are you ready? Joseph said, I know where I stand. If I hang around here long enough, it's going to go down. David said, I got this. He overestimated his strength. And there's not a single one of us in this room that have never done either one of those. Because every single one of us, in some way, I believe that you're a believer today, that there are things you ran from in your life that you you knew would, would dishonor God. But I'm pretty darn sure that every one of us at some point or another said, I think I can handle this. And then when you find yourself in a bad situation, you're like, oops, no, I can't. You've overestimated your strength. You overplayed your hand, right? You said, ah, I thought I had this. I didn't. That's the first focus. That's the first thing we all have to realize. If we're going to live a life of focus, we have to realize that we do have weaknesses and we can. It's very easy to overestimate our strengths and overplay that. Raise your hand if you've ever done both. Raise your hand if you've ever done one. Okay, so every one of us in some way, shape, or form, we've done this, right? Where we've said, you know, I have this weakness and I realize, man, you know, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, and you hang around there long enough. Guess what? That That maybe is going to become a yes very quickly. That's the first focus. When I look at Joseph who stood tall and David who fell flat... <laughs> I come to a conclusion, at any given moment, any one of us can step away and make a very foolish decision. Or, as some would call it, step into the stupid. Just step into it. Like, I got this, I'm going to, and flat you fall. And then we're going, oh my goodness, that was such a dumb move. Why did I do that? Let me, let me tell you why, because you over, overestimated your strength. The moment you say you don't need somebody is the moment you need twice as many people. Number two, second focus. Joseph used his position responsibly where David used his position irresponsibly. He abused his position even. Joseph knew his role, knew his place, and used it responsibly where David irresponsibly. He went, listen, he not only saw Bathsheba, called her into his bedroom, slept with her. That was one of his finest soldier's wife. Then when he got her pregnant, wanted to cover it up, so sent the husband to the front line to be killed. Not before he tried to get him to sleep with his wife so that she would be pregnant and that would not be on him. Come on, that sounds like a Telemundo. It sounds like a Novela. It sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Come on, somebody. Some of you are waiting for the interpretation. Novelas. (laughs) Telemundo. What is that, Lord? Show me. Soap opera. Soap opera. Right? And so what happens? He sends them to war. Kills. And then he takes Bathsheba to himself. Can I tell you something? Talk about irresponsible positions being abused. That has to be something we have to learn from this. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We have to use our positions responsibly like Joseph did. And if it means us looking like a coward because we run away, so be it. Because I'd rather run away and look like a coward in man's eyes and be righteous in God's than the other way around. Third focus, because every good sermon has three points. Third focus, Joseph guarded his heart. He had decided ahead of time to flee when the temptation came. Listen to me. David didn't shield his heart. Joseph did. The moment, temp- the moment of temptation is never the time to make the choice. Put that next quote, that next slide on the, on the screen here. Focused people, make the decision before the temptation. You want to live a life that's focused? Decide that if something comes my way, if I'm asked to cheat, steal, be dishonest, I have to make a decision ahead of time that that will not be me. You call the wrong person, you dial the wrong number. Take me off of your list. I'm not that person. If you don't make that decision ahead of time, if you don't say, I'm going to live a life that's filled with character and integrity, if you don't make that decision ahead of time, man or woman in this room, if you're listening online, listening to a podcast, or in this room, I want to tell you right now, make the decision now. Decide right now what you're going to do if something comes your way. If somebody hits on you, what are you going to do? If somebody asks you to lie, what are you going to do? Don't wait to the moment because then you're like, uh, 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 what, how, which way would this benefit me? Because that's, that's what we default to, right? If I lie, if it benefits me, I want to lie to benefit me. But it dishonors God. Make a decision now what's going to honor God at the end of the day. Because he's the one we live for. Come on, somebody. He is our living hope. He is the one that we strive to live for. And so there's nothing else that matters. If you've given your life to Jesus, raise your hand if you've given your life to Jesus. I hope some of you have. Right? You said, if I've given my life to Jesus, guess who you serve? You don't serve me. You don't even serve the person next to you. You serve God. And by serving God... God has given us a command to love our neighbor as ourselves, so we then serve. But it has to go up first, then. Are you with me? We don't serve man so we can impress God. You with me? We don't serve man, because what does that do? That brings the glory to who? To man, to us. We serve God by serving man. We serve God by loving God, loving people, in that order. You with me? Come on, somebody. I got, I got a little preach in me. When you love God, loving people is a little easier. But if you start by loving people to love God, it's gets... Right? It's not going to work. It's not going to... It's not going gonna, gonna to be backwards. And so what happens is what we end up doing is we wait for man's approval... We like when they like us. We don't like when they don't like us. We shift our beliefs. We shift our convictions according to what they like and what they don't like. And so what happens? How many know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? Because of that, we can love God no matter what, and that never changes. Because he never changes. Focus on the Father, and he will remain faithful. Focus on the flock and you'll be frustrated and fall. I'll say it again. Focus on the father and he will remain faithful. Focus on the flock and you'll be frustrated and fall. So what does that mean? Decide ahead of time that you're going to love God by making the decisions that you make. Is this helping anybody? So there's uh, just a couple things that James tells us. Uh, If the media team could just help me play something soft. I want to tell you one verse. I want to read one verse because you're supposed to make your decision before you make the decision. Right? James 4 tells us this, and I have it on the screen. I need you to, um, matter of fact, here's what I want you to do. Help me out as a body. Can you do this with me? Can you read out loud with me these two verses? Are you ready? Say it with me. Therefore, submit to God. But resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double minded people. It's a lot mixed in that, isn't there? They call me a sinner, they call me double minded. This is not encouraging, Pastor. This is not good. But can, I, can we all agree if we look up at the screen and say we've all been all of that Amen. at some point in our life? So stop getting offended about stuff. You've been double-minded. You've been a sinner. You've been all these things. But you know what he says if you want to get out of that? Right there in the beginning. He opens with it. Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. It's a really simple concept, but it takes effort to stay focused on the things that the Father has for you. How many of you, let me do a straw poll real quick with no straw. How many of you in this room have ever found yourself saying, you know, I find myself wanting to submit to God, resisting the devil, and drawing near? But it's really hard to do all three. How many ever felt like it's really hard to do all three? You're like, some days I submit to God, but then the the enemy does something and I kind of fall into a trap of sin. Guess what? The focus comes when we start realizing that you in and of yourself can't do this. It has to be a submission of our will. Dare I say, a submission of our heart. So back to the heart thing. where's the heartland? that control center that helps us to, to decide what we're going to submit to, what're who we're going to resist, and how we're going to do those. Because if you realize submitting to God, resisting the devil is not one and the same. It's actually two separate things that ultimately get you to that result because you have to you have to deliberately submit to God. And deliberately say no to the enemy. That's what Joseph did. He resists the devil in the form of sexuality with this woman. David, not so much. Both men, powerful men. Both men used by God. How many realize that Joseph and David were both used by God? But they took their focus in different ways. And so have we. So I wanted to give an opportunity here this morning to say, you know what, as a people, are we going to just agree that he is the one that we live for? Amen? Amen? Worship team, come on up, and I want us to sing this song together for a moment, and I want us to close with this song, and we sang it earlier, living hope. So here's what I want from you, everybody else that's not the worship team, look right here, right here, look at me. When we say, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. You know what that says? Not not my will be done, but thy will be done. You with me? Not my will, but thine be done. What made Jesus say John the Baptist was the greatest? What made Jesus say that John the Baptist... Was the greatest. You know what he made him say he was the greatest because he continuously decreased. Why God, while God increased. Look at it like a tank, right? Half of it is this, and half of it is that, right? What you have to realize is that what you have to do is take as much of you out of that tank as possible and fill it with God. The problem is, life breaks us sometimes, and we leak. What we have to do is ask God to heal and refill. Heal and refill. There's nothing worse than going to start a lawnmower and you realize, I'm out of gas. You have a mission. You have a purpose. It's a pain in the butt. That's not the worst thing. Because it's probably worse than that, right? I would say, you know, famine, world hunger. But I'm saying that's a frustrating thing when you're like, you're focused and determined and you're ready to go and you, 42 minutes later, and you think, I probably should have figured out 40 minutes ago that I had no gas. But you went through the motions with no gas. You know what that is? That's a picture of us going through our lives without the power of the Holy Spirit actively alive in our lives. All we're doing is and we're wondering why we ain't started in the right direction. Some of you, are like, you should get a new lawnmower. You're right. And you should get a new Christian life. Be renewed. Be renewed. That's how come he said, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things.